Hey, MMA fans, check out the Ringer MMA show. That's where we run the Spotify lives that happen right before and after big UFC events like UFC 275 this weekend. Ariel Hawani, Chuck Mendenhall, Pizza Carroll were right on there in front of like 2,000 people on Spotify Live. And then we ran the podcast right after on the Ringer MMA show. Follow it right now on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. I love the NBA. When game day comes around, win or lose, this is the beer you want. Michelob Ultra, my go-to right now because I'm a light beer guy. Sorry, hate to break it to you. You know, I'll mess around with some other ones, but for the most part, really ever since college, I've been a light beer guy. Michelob Ultra, not only does it taste great, 95 calories, crisp and refreshing. Put it in your fridge. Watch how people just grab it. All of a sudden, they're gone. I also like Michelob Ultra because they're getting fans closer to the game right now than ever before with exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like signed memorabilia and courtside seats. Enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. This episode is brought to you by Netflix. They say a gentleman always keeps his word, but I can't repeat any of the words that the weed-dealing, gambling, murdering aristocrats say in The Gentleman. Guy Ritchie's first TV show ever, only on Netflix, based on his award-winning film, The Gentleman series stars Theo James, my guy from White Lotus, and a whole new cast of criminal lords and ladies slumming it in Britain's criminal underworld Guns out. Pinkies up. Don't miss the gentleman now playing only on Netflix. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network. We have been diving into TV lately there. The Prestige TV feed. I was on there this weekend with Joanna Robinson talking about The Staircase, an excellent HBO Max true crime show. We talked about what we liked and we didn't like and why we think The Staircase beat out all the other true crime shows in the spring, summer and became kind of the dominant one. You can also hear Barry. Sean Fennessy and Bill Hader breaking down episode eight. That is already up by the time you hear this. We also have The Watch with Chris Ryan and Andy Greenwald. We have The Ringer Reality Feed, which has been blowing up with Bravo shows. Rachel Lindsay's on there a lot now. And then, of course, Bachelor Party, the longest and most successful Bachelor podcast, Juliet Lippman. We have The Bachelorette, I think, coming back first or second week in July. They released the bios. Always an exciting day. And Juliet was breaking that down with Jody Walker. So those are all our TV stuff. And then on top of that, the rewatchables, which is being moved to Tuesday this week, because I'm going to have to, I'm going to have podcasts tonight and then Monday night after game five. So the rewatchables will run on Tuesday night and you can take that to the bank, the blood bank. There's your hint for the episode. Coming up on this one, Ryan Rossillo. Sunday as usual, and we're going to be talking about what we've seen in the finals so far, what we're expecting for the next three games, and a whole bunch more. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. All right, we're taping this. It is 5.30 Sunday night Pacific time. Ryan Rosillo is here. A little bit of a dead time before game five of the NBA Finals. The U.S. Open is this week. Sports is about to get lit, Rosillo. NBA draft. Yeah, it's getting a little lit. NBA draft. Do you have your top three? When when are you going to announce it? You're doing a special show? What's going on? What's your one, two, three? When do we we find out? 
yeah, it doesn't stop over here. Uh, put a, put a lot of time into watching the guys. I kind of make myself watch it. Like I go, okay, pretend you hate this guy and watch it. And then I'll mm. be like, pretend you love this guy and then pretend, you know, whatever. I'd still leaning towards Paolo. Just one possession. He set two screens off the ball, came back, got the ball, waited, didn't dribble, waited for somebody else to release, passed it, went down, then came back out as somebody drove away from the help. And then he dished it off to Mark Williams for a dunk. I'm like, he did five or six things in one possession. So uh, as great as he is with the ball in his hands, I think he's completely underrated with what he does and how he fits into a team that had multiple ball handlers. So I still feel like I'm, I'm leaning Paolo, but I, I understand, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a tough one, man. They're really good. I like all, all those guys. And plus you have a little chess going on with the two and three teams, right? OKC, they don't want anyone to know who they like the most, and I'm sure Houston doesn't either. And I'm sure at this point they probably, each of those teams probably has a guy they like the most, but you don't want to let that out. You know, it's a little like when Danny liked Tatum, but then realized he could get Tatum at three because the Lakers had already tipped their hand that they were definitely taking Lonzo too, and the Lakers could have more fun with that. I think this time it's going to be a lot of like secretive chess going on. I would agree. I also think it's kind of funny too. I don't know where I was reading it, but it was something about how like Houston's in the great spot. And you're like, you know what? That's to me, that's loser talk. Mm. Like maybe it works out because Houston has the stress taken away from them, and the guy who goes third ends up being the best player. Uh, that's not a ridiculous statement at all. That could definitely happen wh- with whoever goes third. But if you do this for a living and you're in charge of a team, you're gonna have a preference. So to say, well, cool, I have no stress. To me, that's, that's a fearful approach to it. And I don't, I really don't think people understand, like most GMs aren't like that. None of these guys, like, have you ever heard one guy ever who was involved, involved in decision-making that said, you know, deep down, I don't really trust myself with this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess the only case you could make is if you felt like the three guys were so even that one was falling to you and then basically, you know, from a job preservation standpoint, you'd be like, well, that was the guy that was left. That's the only, the job preservation piece is the only well, thing you're that right. I would say. It's a, it's a massive, because then if you're wrong, you can go, well, we had a third. So if, if yeah, you're talking we knew, about the, We knew he was the third best guy, right. but that's who landed. If you're talking about the preservation of, of the way you're treated after the fact, three or four years from now, yeah, it's advantageous to have the decision taken away from you, but I don't know that any of these guys operate that way. Do you have a three? Do you have an order now? I don't. I, I got to say, I've, the Celtics thing has just completely sidetracked <laughs> me. I mean, there's been 22 playoff games. All of them have been tense. How many there's have been you been no easy to? series. I think I've been to eight, seven or eight. Um, but every game has been tense. Even the Nets series was like the most competitive sweep I've ever watched in my life, and they easily could have lost a couple of those. So. I'm going to dive in. I The most interesting thing to me, even beyond the one, two, three, is just Sacramento at four when the draft restarts with, I don't know, kind of a seminal pick for them. You know, like they have to nail it. Either they have to turn that guy into an awesome player or they have to trade him for somebody who's awesome. But I feel like they have to come out of this draft with some sort of direction and purpose for the next five years, right? And it it, it can't just be, let's take, Ivy and hope he can play with, with Fox. Let's keep our fingers crossed. It's got to be a level beyond that, right? I'm leaning towards it being exactly that. I'm because te- I watched Ivy all weekend, mm. and he was awful in the St. Peter's game. Um, I think the way it came out, if you looked at usage rate of Power Five players in college basketball, Edie for Purdue, who's the seven foot eleven guy, 
<laughs> he, I mean, he played not only with one 1980s center, Williams, who would be a starting center for any other team, came off the bench. Mm. And then there's another guy, 50-something, who's enormous. And all of these things are happening while Ivy is running what ended up being a really highly rated offense efficiency-wise. So you can't play like Painter's an awesome coach at Purdue. But when you watch all these Purdue games, I keep kind of defaulting to like, you know what? There's just not many people who move on a basketball court the way Ivy does. And it's not like he's just some guy like Tyrus Thomas who moves and you're like, oh my God, like Ivy's a better basketball player. And <laughs> I'm not saying it's a perfect, but I don't know. I, I, it, like imagine being in Sacramento's office going like in any other version of this, we take Ivy four and we don't even think about it. So now we're going to do something else. Then if you do that, then you probably should just take Ivy four and hope, hey, what if we have two insane attacking wings that can play with each other? Like, what if we do that? Because sometimes it actually can work, you know, like when only one guy can shot create, you have a problem. Yeah. <laughs> so I I think I'm actually kind of leaning towards if they take Ivy, I, I'd almost respect more. He has a missed dunk against Texas that I'm going to send you, Bill. It's a missed dunk and it's in my notes. It's just that impressive. Wow. Yeah, I I always do this with, I probably overrate the finals, what I'm watching when I start thinking about the draft because I just want to, I just want guys, especially sure. if it's in the top 12, that I can envision playing in the the series I'm watching. It just feels like the wing, I know people have made this point, but it just feels like these wings are so much more important than they were even like three years ago. Like the fact that Wiggins was sitting there for anyone in the league, and granted, this has been the best case version of how his career could have turned out. I was so impressed with him. I watched game four again. I was so impressed with him. He's like a legitimate playoff guy. Like he was crashing the boards. He was doing all the little stuff. I think he's been their second best player in the series. But I just feel like over and over again, I would default toward wings, six foot six, six foot seven range, who can shoot and defend. I'm I'm just always going to gravitate to those guys over whoever else you're throwing to me. Like I'm talking about when it gets a little more confusing, when we get to that like four to 13 range. I just think those guys, you can always have those guys in a series like the one we're watching. Then when it gets to like, I I mean, somebody like Ivy, like what what would be the doppelganger for him in the playoffs? What do you see? Like it'd be like a Mitchell on Utah type of situation. Like what is it? Yeah, I actually think Mitchell's pretty good. Yeah. Um, I You know, and if he turned into Donovan Mitchell, then you'd be That's thrilled. That's great. That's yeah. worth the fourth pick. Yeah, yeah, we're talking about somebody who's at worst a top 20 player and has flirted with higher rankings there when we all kind of loved him when when Utah was probably exceeding some of the stuff. You know, they beat the Thunder and then they had that epic series with Denver where he and Jamal Murray were going at it. Like, you know, up until this season, some of the Mitchell playoff stuff was actually really good. Um, so if he's Mitchell, that's terrific. But I'd love to see him away from, you know, it's tough to criticize Purdue's offense, as I point out, because statistically it was incredible. but him with space, Bill, once he has momentum with the basketball, the way he splits double teams at the top. Just you really like him. this guy. Yeah, I do. I watched the under-19 stuff again, the final against France. And I, like I always say, like I'm a big movement guy. And if you can move like that, if you're really that special and you can play, because there's some movement guys over the years where when I was younger, I'd fall in love with like, oh my God. And it's like, yeah, but he sucks at basketball. Like I'd be talking to myself going, why do you like this guy? Because he moves well. Like, is he any good at basketball? And the St. Peter's game, you know, is is bad. It, it was really, really bad. But the kid was there two years. He improved dramatically. 
and he's big too, man. He's he's big for a wing. So I know that we've been talking about Sacramento, how it's like they're the one team that lands on that pick that can't take Ivy. You know, what are you just supposed to take Keegan Murray then? Because you're afraid of the fit? And maybe, you know, maybe some teams like Keegan better because he, you know, he kind of checks a million boxes. He gets Could you see size. him? Could you see him in this series? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I do. I, you know, he's not the athlete that some of the other guys are. Uh, but he he fits into whatever you're doing. Like, he adapts. I, I th- You know, he had to lead the show, and he had moments for Iowa where he was he was doing everything. I mean, fucking everything. He's incredibly smart. I also think he has kind of the right personality. We're never really worried about the guy. Um, so that part of it is great. But I, I think, you know, when you're talking about athletes and why teams will go. So like the Jalen Brown pick is a perfect example. I asked the Celtics, I go, what was it? What was it with Jalen Brown? And they're like, you know what? At that point, the, the first two guys, everybody knew it was Simmons. Everybody knew it was Ingram. It was all over the place after that. Um, and we just felt like his body, his profile, his athleticism, like it it matched up with what one of those really good wings can be in the NBA and what everybody's searching for. And they nailed it, man. They nailed it because the Brown stuff at Cal wasn't impressive. He physically was impressive. I don't think he was that great of a player back then. So I think that's what happens. I mean, to me, Ivy's far more, you know, he's he's not the same size as Jalen, but I don't think. Um, he's 6'4". Yeah, yeah. Well, he so looks hand- bigger. He looks bigger out there. KOC updated his big board, and he has my guy Sohan at eight. That's an example of somebody I think could be in this series. Like, even next year as a rookie, I th- I feel like you could throw him out there for seven minutes a half, and he would at least run around and do defensive stuff and just do energy stuff. But um, I can see him The only difference with Sohan is he might be like the first guy you tell everyone never defend, help off of right. all the time, never close out. Any- but he also is one of those rare guys who can impact a basketball game by never scoring. That's just what he does. What about uh what about our Arizona guy? Where does he fit in this? He check guy Matherin? Like a J- Jordan Poole type guy coming off the bench, or is he more than that? I'm saying early, first couple years of his career. So we're wondering how many guys in this year's class would be out there in closing minutes of the NBA finals, because it's probably the list isn't <laughs> I'm saying who could get who could get realistically who could play twelve to fifteen minutes in one of these games we're watching. I would I would bet on his um his personality, not being afraid. Like before I knew mm. anything about him, because I don't I don't really follow the high school stuff until after I'll go back and look at like, okay, how many state titles did this guy win? I mean, almost all of these guys' resumes are incredible. Like they're all Mr. Basketball from whatever state they're from. Right. Um, you know, you rarely have the you know, Johnny Davis wasn't as big of a recruit from Wisconsin, but you know, most of them have, you know, there's a reason. You know, Mark Williams, I was looking him up, and it's like, oh, he ends up at IMG. He's a five-star, and, you know, he put up a million points in some of these high school showcase things. And he was, like, the fifth option for Duke. Um, Matherin, who I didn't know his background, when I watched him, I'm like, this kid has to be from, like, a rough part of L.A. or something. Just the way he carried himself. I yeah. was like, this guy. He's seen like some he's, games. Yeah. Like, <laughs> this guy's seen some shit. And then... I dug into it. I was like, oh, wait, he's from Montreal. And then I asked some teams and I go, what was he like in interviews? And they're like, it's awesome. Mm. They're like, this guy is just like, he, he, I mean, takes you through a story. It was tough, you know? So it wasn't like this guy was 
just because it's Montreal, sometimes us in the States can be like, oh, Montreal's awesome. That must have been sweet. And it, Wait, it, so he's a, he's another guy for the Canadian yeah. national team in 24? That team's going to be really good. Yeah, dude. I mean, so the thing is, though, is that once I understood his story, uh, which yeah. is rough, you know, it, it's rough and it's challenging. Like, this guy was in interviews kind of going, like, this is it, man. This is all, this is it. Yeah, so I can't fail at this. And so right. I know teams are really impressed with him. So yeah, back to your original point. Like, I don't think he'd be scared. Griffin is another one who I think has a chance. So Moses Moody's like the cutoff line, right? Because I actually thought Moses Moody, especially in the playoffs, some of the run he was getting looked pretty good in that last series. He's not even playing in this series. So I, I look at Griffin. It's like, would he be as good as Moses Moody looked in the Dallas series? Probably not. It's probably, I don't know, maybe... Maybe it would be like the almost like a redshirt year in the NBA before he was able to play in a, play in a series like the one we're watching. I don't know. He he was pretty up and down in the tournament. As much as I enjoyed Duke, there would be moments where you know he did have the what do we call it the Wiggins when the guy just disappears? You forget he's out there for a half hour. I don't think I think we stopped doing that with Wiggins, right? Right, Wiggins graduated <laughs> from it. <laughs> he's no longer part time invisible. Uh, no, I mean fuck. Yeah. No, he's been great. Yeah. Those two offensive rebounds he had in game four, Bill, probably as is, is big as, I mean, the Curry shots are demoralizing, but those two offensive rebounds, if you like the putback, the second one, I think it made it 94-92 Boston. It was, those were huge. Uh, you know what, though? Let me, let me follow up on AJ, though, because yeah. if he doesn't have the injury history, I think there's an argument that he could be like at, at the top of, of the draft at, at the fifth pick. Hmm. Uh, I mean, he shoots the hell out of it, and he got stuck you know, he gets stuck as like the fourth or fifth option out there. And we're talking about somebody with a major, you know, high school profile. Uh, but he got hurt twice in high school. He got hurt again with Duke. So that's that's a little alarming. But he he found a way to fit in, even though I think he's really good with the ball in his hands. He just wasn't going to get that many options at Duke. That team was, I don't know how this draft class will work out, but there's a chance we're going to look back at that Duke team and go, holy shit. Like you already should be. Every time I watch their games to evaluate one of the guys, I just start laughing about how insanely talented it is. Wasn't what was the Kentucky team that had Booker on it and a whole bunch of people that you look back now and it just it was pretty it was I don't think they won the title I think they were undefeated then they lost was Booker but, six in minutes that year or something yeah too? Booker, Booker was basically <laughs> he was like the fifth option for them but I remember sometimes in college that'll happen where you look back and you can't believe all the people who are on the same team yeah so that was they had Towns. Yeah, the Harrison twins who were a right. huge deal coming in. Yeah, um, Willie. I lost, I lost some Harrison twin stock. Yeah, uh, that was that was like the BuzzFeed stock. All of a sudden, it was two dollars. I was couldn't even unload it. Let's see, Booker. <laughs> Booker was sixth in minutes. Yeah, so Will, Willie Cauley Stein. Stein. Uh, the Harrison guys, and one of my favorite college players ever was Ulyss. I loved the way he played, and then mm -hmm. Trey Lyles, another lottery pick, Towns, and then. The other guy um, that was on that team who was like the epitome of the longer you stick around, the worse it gets is Poitras. Right. He was going to be a one and done. And then he's like, maybe I'll stick around. And then it was just kind of clear he didn't. He got hurt, too. I think he didn't he tear his ACL at some point, too. It just never worked out for him. Um, all right. So before we put a bow on this, how do you think it goes, the one, two, three? You could change your opinion in a week. But right now, you think Orlando takes Chet? Because there's a lot of Chet buzz right now for them. It was so overwhelming, Jabari, at the Combine, but sometimes I think in that setting where everybody's around each other, it just becomes 
like, and I was like, do you guys know, or is everyone just repeating what the other guy just said? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it, sometimes that stuff can kind of happen. Uh, you know, there's a bit of a shakeup there in the front office as well. I don't know how that much impacts it or how much that impacts it. Uh, you know, I, I just don't really know right now, man. I mean, it'd be totally guessing. My guess, I think Checo's one. I think OKC takes Jabari and I think Houston takes Paolo. But I also wouldn't be surprised if Presti absolutely loved Paolo and can't wait to take him. Or if he like really loved Jaden Ivey and did some sort of flipping two for four type thing. I think Presti is such a wild card. He's done so many ballsy things over the years with the draft, right? I fully expect, like last year we found out he went all in on Mobley and was offering everything to move up. And Cleveland was like, no thanks. He was like, what about this? Cleveland was like, no thanks. Because they knew what they had with Mobley. Um, was it number two or number three? I can't remember where he was. He was two. Yeah. Um, but so when he gets attached to somebody, like the Harden Westbrook picks were pretty controversial at the time, you know? So I don't know what to expect from him. Saruti, can you come on for a second? That was like you were asking if somebody can, like you showing up to somebody's house and being like, can Steve come out? Saruti, like, can you come <laughs> can out you of your room? What do you have Orlando doing? What's your intel? Uh, A couple weeks ago, I was, I think they're taking Jabari. Now, I I think it's Chet. I think it's going to be Chet because I think he's, again, I said this a couple weeks ago on the pod. I think he fits the profile of the guy they want. There's been some weird stuff that's floated out about how like they're kind of afraid at the top and they don't, this is like a, a pick that they can't miss. Like they need to get a guy. And that's where I think the Jabari stuff has come into it, which is weird because you would wonder, like Ryan said this, like Paulo is like kind of the most polished and, kind of ready to go guy in the draft. So if you're if you're looking for a can't miss yeah. guy or a guy that's gonna play from day one, like you take Paulo. Um but I think I don't know, man. There's just more stuff coming about Jabari. I know you said you really like Jabari and you kind of gave him the stamp of approval a couple weeks ago. And it seems like you've kind of walked off that a little bit. I think that's kind of how the public has felt too, because they're worried about the the no dribbling and not being able to play make at all is just weird for a guy that you're gonna take one. And again, I'll go back to it and say, like, I just think if you if you if you pass on Chet and he hits, like, it's just it's gonna suck. It's gonna be such a bummer to watch that guy play for a decade plus. I'm so worried about his body. It's just so atypical from anything we've ever seen succeed in the NBA, and I can't get past it. But at the same time, watching four straight rounds of the playoffs and just thinking of him as like this gigantic version of Al Horford, as a worst case scenario for his career, if he can just stay healthy where he's just 17 and 13 with some threes and some blocks and doesn't have to have the ball all the time and is just very additive. So the, the Horford thing, I just keep coming back to with him. If that's the worst case for him, that's a really nice player to have. The interesting thing, though, is weird because he's it's not like he's been not durable. Um, yeah. And I just, his I body's he's weird. Guys. He's, like, you know, no, he's you're right. tall, he skinny guy. Hunch back. Yeah. yeah. But I'm, I don't know if he'll ever be, you know, in... in like he seems to me like a, like a stat stuffer guy. Like I don't know if whoever averaged twenty five a game, but he's not going to be that kind of star. He'll be like this just jack of all trades, who's just a ridiculous help defender. Can step out, hit corner threes. Um, can can play in space or with the ball in his hand. But he, I don't know if he's ever like the go to guy at the end of the game who's like, all right, everybody, like get out of the way. Like this is my thing, right? Um, which is maybe maybe what can scare people away from taking one. But I'm just I'm just intrigued by all the things that he can be, and that's why I I, I would still take him one. Seems like he'd be fun to play with too. The Jabari, I did my stamp of approval, and then um, the the two point stuff worries me with him. 
where it's like, are you drafting basically Richard Lewis 2.0 with the first pick in the draft? Is that a good idea? That's so now I'm wavering. It's it's pretty pathetic. Here, here's what I want you to do, Bill, and I'll I'll send you the synergy clip if you want it. Uh, and it's unfair because like I could give you the Jabari Florida game and you go, okay, I'm, yeah. I'm back in. Um, you know, Chet running all over Pepperdine, maybe not as impressive. Uh, we don't have as many Pepperdine, you know, as, as many Gonzaga Chet things. Although I'm yeah. telling you, when I see Chet hit a three and he puts a little <laughs> hand pistol in his holster on the side, going back down the court, I just want people to understand that that's part of his game. Yeah. Um, he said he was going to be the best player in the draft. Did yeah. You see that said, a couple weeks ago? He was, he's, no, no, I'm sorry. He said he was going to be the best player in the league. Best player in the league. I will guy. be in, in two yeah. weeks. Yeah. Yeah. He's Third. feisty. I like it. He's like yeah. kind of, and the feistiness is dated back to like when he was like in 10th grade. You know, and he was really high on these boards and he was in these games and he was a big target and he was always going right at these dudes, which I think is a good quality because everyone's going to go at him. In seventh I mean, grade, apparently, shove guys all the time, <laughs> just in the hallways. <laughs> uh, just slapping people's books. <laughs> the, the, what I was going to say, go back and watch the first half of Paolo against Gonzaga. Okay. Go back and watch it. It'll take, on the clips, it'll take 15 minutes. And then I want you to talk about it again, which again is unfair to the other guys because I, I actually like the other guys. Like, there's not this isn't me going, "Hey, I like now I'm going to dump on all these other dudes." I, I, the Jabari no dribble thing does scare me a little bit. You know, I like guys that can dribble. It's weird. Can we all agree on this? It's the most fun just for having Sarudi in our life. If Orlando takes Chet, yeah. it's that it's the highest ceiling, lowest basement. <laughs> everything's possible. It'll just be, Agree. I'll just have more conversations with Saruti about Chet than the other two guys. It's just the luck. I will be checking in constantly. He'll have some game where he's one for eight with two rebounds in 28 minutes and there it'll be a whole text <laughs> chain. I can't wait. Well, you texted me, you texted me and Kevin Clark, like, what was that? February or January? Because you were like randomly watching a Magic game. And you're like, hey, this team's actually like kind of fun. And I was like, I know they're they're know. they're fun to watch. They've got some fun guys. Imagine adding Chet to that roster. That, yeah. That's going to be a I don't know. I dare I say it. Top ten league pass team. I don't know. Well, if fun. you have if you have Chet and Franz and Suggs, you have three really high IQ basketball guys. Yep. Right. Wendell. I put him in there. Okay, yeah, I, Wendell. I Wendell. Player, yeah. Uh, you guys, I love fourteen million too. Wendell. Fultz was good for that. Uh, you know what I'm not going to get excited this? for Fultz. There's a couple things here. One is my favorite development of my entire time at the Ringer is the buy-in from Bill understanding the Saruti factor, like mm. getting why I don't stick up for many people. But he really like, doesn't. Rosella yeah. likes about five people total. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just remember like he was available and, and I was like, Bill, you know, you should just at least talk to him. He's like, ah, you know, which of course you've only been pitched to thousands of people your entire life. So no, you carry it. more weight because again, right. you like five people. So, so it's like, well, Vercella likes him. Like, I, I have to investigate this. I think a year goes by and Bill calls because, so what's the deal with Sarut? And I go, you know, <laughs> I go, can you just fucking hire him? Just yeah. hire him. And I'm telling you, <laughs> yeah. after a little while, you'll go, oh, all right, I get it. I go, he's actually a difficult scouting reporter. If I had to type it up, it'd be hard. It would be hard to do. I'd be like, you just have to be around him. You have to work with him. And now you guys are going to be texting about Chet and the magic. And what I love about this it's Chet great. thing, the analogy is perfect. He is the equivalent of a top 10 quarterback taken. Because every quarterback that's taken to the top 10, their fan base defends them, despite sometimes zero evidence that it was the right pick. 
because the fan base doesn't want to believe. It's a selfish motivation. They don't want to believe that, wait, maybe our guy sucks. And half of them do in the first round. And there's uh, probably five fan bases right now in the NFL that are blind with support because they just can't handle the alternative that their team got it wrong. And Chet will be like an NFL quarterback if it starts off poorly. Although, you know, it should be easier for a basketball player as a rookie as opposed to a quarterback who has everything on him and everything's his fault when it doesn't work out. Trying to think what quarterback. It's because it would have to be somebody who's got some sort of physical oddity to them, right? So maybe it's like Kyler Murray. It's like, he's too short to play quarterback, but the talent's there. And you just like all of a sudden, because Kyler, I think, is the biggest high ceiling, low basement high pick that we've had. The Tua stands are a little aggressive. Like if you're a Tua guy, like yeah, that's you, rough because Tua is just, I know we you just like haven't, it. we just haven't seen it. I'm not against it, but I, I just, you know, it just felt like all gimmick to me. All right, we got to take a break and we got to talk about the finals. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. I love the NBA. When game day comes around, win or lose, this is the beer you want. Michelob Ultra, my go-to right now because I'm a light beer guy. Sorry, hate to break it to you. You know, I'll mess around with some other ones, but for the most part, really ever since college, I've been a light beer guy. Michelob Ultra, not only does it taste great, 95 calories, crisp and refreshing. Put it in your fridge. Watch how people just grab it. All of a sudden, they're gone. I also like Michelob Ultra because they're getting fans closer to the game right now than ever before with exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like signed memorabilia and courtside seats. Enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. I love the NBA. When game day comes around, win or lose, this is the beer you want. Michelob Ultra, my go-to right now because I'm a light beer guy. Sorry, hate to break it to you. You know, I'll mess around with some other ones, but for the most part, really ever since college, I've been a light beer guy. Michelob Ultra. Not only does it taste great, 95 calories, crisp and refreshing. Put it in your fridge. Watch how people just grab it. All of a sudden, they're gone. I also like Michelob Ultra because they're getting fans closer to the game. Right now, than ever before, with exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like signed memorabilia and courtside seats. Enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. All right, it took us this long to talk about the finals. But I I mean, the draft's not far away. Though, If there's a flaw and an awesome thing about uh, the NBA in June at the same time, it's how close the draft is to the finals. Where, especially if it's a seven-game finals, where the draft is like right after that. So I, I, I do think it's important to talk about. It's a pretty, pretty big draft. Anyway, lingering finals questions. I'm going to throw some finals questions at you. Number one. We've never talked about this. Where do you stand on a losing player winning finals MVP? I feel like this is one of those things you you just, there's certain sports things where it's like, I have to have an opinion on this. I can't, I can't zigzag around it. I have to just plant my flag and this is my opinion and here it is. So do you believe a losing player can win finals MVP? I'm open to it. Yeah, I'm pretty against it but I, I'm not one of those people who's philosophically completely opposed to it. It's kind of like in baseball when A-Rod was having some of those seasons and then you go, you know, we could have finished in the last place without you. And 
So how can you be the MVP? And then I would ask, what if he had a billion home runs in one season and they came in last place? Would you still say, hey, billion be a lot. Let's say 100. Let's say 100 home runs. Then you would have to start to go like, all right, so I'm open to it, but I'd be really, really strict about it. And that's why the Butler vote in the Eastern Conference Finals, as special as Butler was, you can't be as bad as he was in three of those games to get a vote on the losing side. That was ludicrous. Yeah, I'm with you. I am against it. Totally. Just never, ever. I, I, the door slightly ajar for your scenario. Like if about as close as we got was that 2015 finals with LeBron when he averaged 36, 13, and nine. I'd rather and he had gotten it than Iguodala. Iguodala was 16, six, and four. And then Curry was 26, five, and six. And I don't, they, I don't think people understood what Curry's gravity was. They didn't get it. Curry should have won it in 15. I mean, the weird part about Daguadala was everybody was so excited about how incredible he was doing against LeBron. He was really good, but LeBron still had huge stats in that series. It wasn't like he was the LeBron stopper. Curry should have won. It w- it didn't didn't sit right with me at the time. And um, did you I vote get it. for that? No, I didn't. I didn't. I, that was actually like a month after I left ESPN. So I don't even know if I'm on the record with what I thought should have happened, but. Um, but that, the thing is, LeBron had big stats in that series, but he still only shot 40% and they lost in six. And I think it would have been ridiculous if he won. If we're going backwards. The first time they ever handed out finals MVP was 69. And Jerry West won on the losing Lakers. He averaged 38, 5, and 7. And did everything. And everybody, I mean, he was so good that series that I think Havlicek went to just see him in the opposing locker room because he was just, just could not believe how great West was. But the irony is Havlicek should have won finals MVP that year. And they just got it wrong. Havlicek, they win in seven. He's 28, 11 re- 28 a game, 11 rebounds a game, four assists. He played 48 minutes a game in the series. He never came out. He just played, played every single minute. He was guarding West. He was basically the point guard on the Celtics. He was indispensable. And they won the series. And it was stupid that he didn't win. So when people go back and they point to the West thing, and West was 38 five rebounds, seven assists. He was unbelievable, but they lost. And I, I think Kavlicek should have won. So everybody goes back to that with the Curry thing. What's What I don't get is when people start talking after four games where they say, well, if the Warriors lose, Curry's still the MVP. It's like, we don't. how do we know? There's three games left. Like if the Celtics end up winning this series, it's going to be because either Tatum or Brown went to another level in two of those three games. And if that happens, they're going to win. But as good as Curry's been, I just can't get on board with a losing player winning MVP. Same reason I can't Trout winning MVP when the Angels go 73 and 89. I just like, I just never understood that. How valuable can be if your team can't even get to 500? Oh, wait. So you actually believe in the baseball one. See, I think the baseball one, it's easier just to look at the numbers and go, hey, nobody's actually better than this guy. And that's when you should. I just think they should change the valuable shouldn't be in the word. They should say most outstanding player. If it's valuable, there's some insinuation that the team succeeded, right? Valuable means if not for you, this would have happened. It's like, well, if not for you, what are we, 65 and 97? That's the part I don't get. I just think the award is named wrong in baseball because baseball is an individual sport. Just call it most outstanding. And that's it. Call it the MOP. But in basketball, these guys are valuable. Curry has been by far by far the best player in the series. And if none of the Celtics step up, I, you know, I'm sure there's a chance Curry could win, even if the Warriors lost the series. 
It's in play. Him winning it if they lose after all the shit that he took for people like, because again, one of the classic Curry things, if you were still anti-Curry, which, you know, it's just basically a gimmick at this point. Yeah. Um, anybody with a platform that's just deciding, oh, you know, I, I don't want to, I want to pretend that this guy isn't this good. Okay, cool. Uh, you go, oh, well, unanimous, <laughs> unanimous MVP. And you're like, okay, but that's, that's because one guy screwed up the Shaq vote with an Iverson thing. So then somehow Curry is is wrong for having everybody figure it out the year he was unanimous. Don't forget it, MJ in 96. Was he unanimous or didn't somebody screw that one up too? No, he got screwed up. I think there's a... I went back and looked at all this stuff, but there's the Iverson Man. one in the Shaq year, but no, I mean, Curry's the first first unanimous guy. So then... Right. Um, what The other one was always, well, he hasn't won finals MVP, so how you can do it? Again, we just covered this. 15, he should have won it. Uh, people got caught up in the Iguodala story. Writers love storylines. They love they love this stuff. You know, used to write. And so when when everybody kind of gets caught up in the moment, they go ahead and do this. But one of the best thing you just said, the smartest thing, which I completely we're four games in. You know what's going to happen? It's probably going seven. And to say right now, because Steph has been so much better than everybody else, and I'm the biggest Steph can Steph can go. Like I wouldn't just sit here and go, "Oh no, he's he's got this locked up." Like Tatum's probably going to have a game here. Steph's probably going to have a game if it goes three more games where he doesn't close great, you know, because everybody's selling out to defend him. I can't believe how he carried that team through three quarters in Game Four. Like I'm looking at that at seventy nine, seventy eight, going, "How the hell are they up? This guy's doing all of it on his own." And I don't. I think that's a lot to ask of a point guard in today's game, which is, you know, again, he's a different kind of point guard, but he's still initiating every single thing they do. That's just a lot to ask to do for seven straight games. So he's probably due for a stinker in there at some mm. point, you know? So uh, to assume it after four, I, I'm against that argument. Let's talk about the four games he played, though, because I really thought I, I, what he's doing, and I know everybody's been talking about it for two days, but first of all, these are his just field goal makes and attempts in the four games. 12 for 25, 9 for 21, 12 for 22, 14 for 26. And then from three, 7 for 14, 5 for 12, 6 for 11, 7 for 14. Now he's doing this. They have no real second score, right? Clay is second in the scoring, 36% in the series. Wiggins is 16 and a half, but it's really all put back and the athlete plays for the most part. And then Poole's 12 and a half a game. They're throwing white and smart at him. They also have Tatum and Brown. They have the ability to pop Horford and Grant and uh, and Rob Williams out on them. Somebody did. Somebody studied all the shots he made on Friday. All of them were contested. It wasn't like the Celtics fucked up on any of the plays. If you look at his shot chart, three of them were from thirty feet. I talk, I didn't talk to my dad for two days because we were both so bummed out after Game Four. I was like, I didn't want to talk to him. I didn't even want to find out. Get the report. Did you go but to three and four? I didn't go to four. I went to three. But my dad went to four. Both of them. He said what Curry did in that game was the greatest shooting thing he's ever seen in person. He's been going to Celtic games for 49 years. He said he's just never seen anything like that in his life because it wasn't just the shots. It wasn't just the degree of difficulty, but it was how fired up the crowd was and Curry just slowly chipping away at the confidence of the crowd to the point that he just flipped the game. That was a drunk Boston crowd. The team was hyped. The team was in control for most of the game. It was seven and a half minutes left. They're up five. They're up 94-90 with like six minutes left. And he was just that great. I mean, it, it's if he pulls this off with this team, 
this would be one of the great things I think a great player has done to actually win the title with the team that he has. Now, he is a great coach. I think the what Clay was doing, especially in the fourth quarter defensively, we talked about Clay a week ago. I'm shocked at how good Clay was defensively against Jalen on some of those possessions. They really know how to play with him. So it's not it's not like it's him and a bunch of scrubs. This isn't like Della Vadova out there and shit like that in 2015. But Shut up. to have everything hinging on the fact that this guy just has to make crazy shots game after game, and all he has to do is do that four out of seven times and they win, and he's capable of that. Um, this is the cherry and the Sunday for the Steph career. And you and I are Steph guys. Like it, it's bittersweet to say the least for me. Cause to have him have this moment against my favorite team fucking sucks. Yeah, game four was just something else. I hated giving away my game four tickets after that. I always want to help out family members and I had serious resentment of not being in the building because I left once I was like, okay, well, I got to get them in. I, you know, I get to go to a ton of cool stuff. And so I want to get my dad and my brother in the building. And by the way, by Boston standards, that's a, that's a drunk crowd. Those nine something tip offs. That's like on a Friday. Yeah. That's, that's, that started at about two 30. People are going. <laughs> the North end is cranking all day. Yeah. The weather was amazing. You know, it was hotter in Boston in the North end than it is out where I live, uh, in Manhattan beach now. And so when we rolled in, me and my buddy went into game three, I was like, whoa, you know, and we had some dudes around us red from golfing all day. Yeah. <laughs> a little lightheaded. Like, yeah. Let's let's top it off with a little NBA finals action. And I still thought Steph had moments in game three where I was like, I, when he hit that three to make it 83, 82, I'm like, man. And what was so impressive, I thought, of Boston was that they answered every single punch. There must have been seven or eight moments in that game. You're like, oh, here we go. Here comes Golden State. Here comes Golden yeah. State. They get it to eight. They get it to seven. And then Boston would counter every time. And it was really impressive. But, you know, the clay numbers are overall terrible. Um, we've touched on Wiggins. You know, what I loved about clay, too, is he had the, the play on Jalen. And then he had on Tatum's awesome cut off of Wiggins. He got off of Wiggins and Clay came over and kind of helped and changed his angle at the rim. Uh, it was a really just, you know, last minute, like I got to go bail somebody else out, help that kind of thing. Just finishing on Curry. What's the record for threes in a, in a finals? Made threes. total? What do, you, what do you think it is? Uh, 37. Steph Curry, 2015, 32 threes is the record. Number two, Danny Green, 2013, 27. And he sucked in game seven, remember? He was like unbelievable and then finally kind of ran out of it. 2000, uh, 2000 must have another Curry season, 25. And then he has 25 right now. And if this goes seven, I mean, he might hit, he might hit like 40 plus threes in this series. It's fucking crazy. If you look at most points in the finals, he's at 137 right now after four. And, you know, the most ever was Elgin in 62, 284. Jerry West, 265, 69. MJ had 246 in six games in 93. And it's basically seven guys have had more than 225 points in a series. So he's got that going. I, the thing I wanted to add, just to put a bow on the Steph thing, I was thinking, are there, is there such thing as finals unicorn guys? Because we have unicorns, right? And it's like Giannis is a unicorn, a Porzingis. And we had, when we had that whole unicorn run, it's really rare to be this unique in the finals. 
You know, like Shaq, when Shaq had that three-year run from 00 to 02, it was just like, just never seen anything like that. He averaged 38 points a game in 2000. It's completely unstoppable and you're watching. It's just like watching a 300-pound running back just demolishing defenses. Um, Jordan in 93 against the Suns when he's like 40-plus a game. It's just completely unstoppable. They couldn't do anything. Um, to me, Steph is like a finals unicorn. I'm going to give you a couple other names. You tell me if you think they were finals unicorns or not. Giannis last year. Yeah, I mean, the whole time you're talking, I go, let's not forget what this guy did down 2-0 once it was yeah. kind of like... so I had Giannis. Yeah, Giannis absolutely has to be in the conversation for that. 2016 LeBron, I think, is in there. His last five games of that Warrior Series, 33-12-9. Just... What I he mean, and Kyrie did together in the last yeah. three is still, you know, all-time stuff, so... 87 Bird... I mean, uh, 86 Bird and 87 Magic, I think, are both on there. There's just never been performances like that. And then I guess the two on the fringe for me would be 03 Duncan, who almost had a quadruple double in that net series. But that was like just the best version of the footwork, big man, fundamental person that I've ever seen in the finals. And then Hakeem in 95 when he just demolished Orlando. I think those would be my eight. Steph, Giannis, LeBron, Shaq, Jordan, Magic, Bird, Duncan, Hakeem. Where it's not just that they're great, they're like uniquely, I haven't seen this before on this stage, kind of great. Does it make sense? Yeah, it does. I mean, Wade, Dallas, the first time. Right, but is that was that an MJ impression or was that a unicorn thing? No, because to me that was like in that Michael Jordan kind of phylum. You know what I mean? So what is Jordan then? Is it Jordan because Jordan was like done the, it, it was so many times that it was normal for him? Is that what you're saying? I think what he did in 93, I've, 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 that's just never going to happen again. The, just to watch somebody in the finals being like, I'm just scoring between 40 and 50 again tonight. Then you're not going to be able to stop me. And I don't care who you're throwing at me. I'm, I'll be getting to 40 again. Like Wade, Wade couldn't do that every game. You know, Kobe couldn't do that every game. They could have games like that. But Jordan, the ease and the efficiency was pretty ludicrous. What were the Kobe 2000, uh, 2000, nine numbers he never really got there he was in the high 20s he was like 28 29 range he never um never had the consistency like that i mean for him it probably would have been oh two but Shaq was so great i don't think he got the ball enough yeah i'm looking i'm looking at it now i mean he was between yeah he was high yeah, 20s that, yeah the shooting was uh the shooting the numbers for kobe when you really look at the field goal percentage and the true shooting and the stuff like that. It's not awesome for him in the playoffs for the resume. A lot of the Jordan stuff is really translated, but the threes obviously didn't have back then. One other thing I love though about the, the Steph fourth quarter, because, you know, game one, it wasn't great. Game two, they didn't need it. I mean, that first quarter, or excuse me, that fourth quarter in game one now seems like a year ago. You know, yeah. When, when Celtics come out, it's seven straight threes to start it. And you're like, wait, you know, Golden State's going to lose this basketball game, uh, which was, I don't know that I ever felt like, oh, no, wait, Boston's going to lose this game because the way Curry had played, even though I was still shocked that they were up 79-78. I'm like, I can't believe they're up. But I also understood why they're up because I was watching it the entire time. And then a Golden State team that couldn't score a point with the last three plus minutes of game three for Boston it was arguably worse here. And I know we'll get to that in some of the Tatum stuff, but I loved the clay three because it was the Steph gravity stuff again, two ran out to Steph and ignored Clay Thompson 
mm. at the top of the three-point line. Rob Williams did run out to contest, got there late. And then the green to Looney pass layup was all because it was that old-school Steph stuff that they would do. Like, hey, if they're going to trap you, be ready. Draymond free-throw line outlet. He turns, makes that one play. That was a mistake. Yeah, yeah I, I don't think... At that point, you've you've defended Steph a certain way, and all the shots he made were impossible, and you just got to keep it going. Like, to to give up a two-on-one to Draymond, that's the one way to get him going, too. I didn't like that. I didn't love the way the Celtics... Uh, I didn't love the coaching in Game 4. I think Amy's done an incredible job the whole playoffs, but I just felt like... It what didn't was feel it? like... What? No, I just, I'm just curious. Like, what do you think? I, I didn't think their right five were out there in the last seven minutes. I thought it was too hard for them to score in Tatum, who we'll get to in a second. Like, just as having so much trouble creating that I actually would have, I would, I, I know this is crazy and I know he sucked in the first half, but I would have played Pritchard. I think they needed a shooter. They needed somebody that the, the, the Warriors just were not scared of White. Cause I think White's confidence, which has ebbed and flowed this whole playoffs. It was very rare that he was going to keep up what he was doing, too. He I lost mean, he, it in game three and they benched him for the last quarter and a half. And I think now he looks like fragile Derek White again. So they either needed to go big with some size or I think they needed Pritchard, as weird as that sounded. He, he didn't even play that much in that game. Or Grant, just somebody that... Grant, is, Grant's hit just out there fouling all I know. over the place. Grant's been a disaster for a month. Really, since Game Seven, in Milwaukee, I don't. Do you feel like he's? Was that a month ago? <laughs> yeah, it was a month ago. It was bad. Uh, all right, we should talk about Tatum. So uh, let's take a break, and we'll do that. Score big on FanDuel Sportsbook during the NBA Finals. FanDuel giving new customers $200 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Bet the money line, point spreads, player props, so much more. Plus, you can combine your bets for an even bigger payday. With the same game parlay, let's say you think the Warriors are going to win game five. Well, that probably means you think Steph is going to do very well. Steph, five plus threes on FanDuel, on Sunday at least, is minus 215. And the Warriors are about minus 168 to win game four. Team those two up. That's plus 116. Throw in any player prop you like. All of a sudden, you got a same game parlay. Sign up with promo code BS. If you haven't tried FanDuel, now is the perfect time to give it a shot. The only thing sweeter than watching the finals is cashing in on all the action. Join today with promo code BS. Turn a $5 bet into $200 in free bets, win or lose. Make every game feel like game seven. FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel is the official partner of the NBA. You must be 21 plus in select states. First online real money wager of at least $5. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable free bets that expire 14 days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Connecticut, 888-789-777. In Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Virginia, 1-800-GAMBLER. In Michigan, 800-270-7117. 1-877-770-STOP. In Louisiana, 1-800-270-7117. For confidential help in Michigan, 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. Tennessee red line is 800-889-9789. And in West Virginia, 1800-GAMBLER.net. This episode is brought to you by Verbo. You know, it is already stressful enough to deal with airports, delayed flights, bad weather. You want your actual where you're staying experience to be perfect, to be lights out. You don't want to have to worry about anything. When you book a vacation rental, you want to know exactly what you're paying ahead of time. The stress of getting hit with unexpected cleaning fees after your stay. 
that can immediately cancel out all the great time you just spent unwinding. Thankfully, when you book with Verbo, you can see the total price upfront. There are no unpleasant surprises and the savings do not stop there, my friends. When you book with Verbo, you earn 2% cash back toward your next vacation through the One Key Rewards program, letting your money do the work for you while you've got your feet up. So while other vacation rentals can feel like a roll of the dice, relax knowing you booked a Verbo. Book your next private vacation rental in the Verbo app. Before we talk about Tatum, I just wanted to give you the finals MVPs that I that bother me the most. I made a list. Okay. Just, just extra content for you. Just say I know you. How love long this did stuff. you do on this? How long did you go on? Ah, this it's day? like ten minutes. Oh. Okay. Um. The uh, JoJo in 1976 over Cowens is ridiculous. It was oh. just a complete overreaction in Game Appreciate Five. Cowens Cowens was like every game like 21 and 18. I didn't like that one. Didn't that feel what? political? No, it was because JoJo was amazing in, in Game Five. <laughs> I see what you did there. Wes Unseld won in '78. Wes Unseld, he was nine, twelve, and four, and he was kind of getting torched by Seattle's bigs. And it just seemed like they liked Wes Unseld, and they didn't want to give it to Bobby Dandridge for whatever reason. And I don't get that one at all. Magic over Kareem in 1980 was just a bad pick. Kareem should have won. Magic played one great game. Kareem was like, he was 33, 14, and three in the five games he played. And he would have played a game seven. And I just would have given it to him. Wait, so you would have taken away the Magic game seven all time playing center? Thing? Game like, six. I, it was game six. Game they were six, up three, two. Me, yeah. I just think Kareem was the best part of the series. I don't, I don't like the Maxwell over Bird. I think Bird, that, that became like Bird's 2015 Curry. Where Bird was 15, 15, and seven in that series, seven assists a game. His shot was off, but Maxwell was 18 and 10. It wasn't like he was averaging 27 a game. I just thought that was weird. Bird, especially in game six, I didn't like that. Uh, 2004, Ben Wallace should have been the MVP of that series. Billups won, and it started the Mr. Big Shot thing that became, I think, one of the most overrated things of the, of the, uh, of the 2000s. This whole concept of Chauncey Billups. Oh my God. Amazing. Um, ben Wallace I don't know. I don't know Shaq. when. I don't know when I looked at it, but it was a couple years after the Mister Big Shot thing had taken over. So basically, anytime you hit a, because you know, unfortunately, too They're many. They're going Mister Big Shot. There he is. And he, here's he what missed I most of them. <laughs> here's what I don't like about how we think about clutch players is that there are monumental shots with like one thirty seven left, and I understand that it falls under the w- minute window or whatever. But guys are hitting huge shots. That yeah. may actually decide the game. Maybe it's two ten left or something like that. I know the different clutch, you know, sorters and how it works out. But those shots never get any credit. They just never seem to get enough credit. And then we start to do this less under the shot clock score tied. And I remember because somebody put all the time in. This is, didn't happen all the time, kids. I mean, we're, we're spoiled I, now. By the way, the person who put the time in was me. I did a whole thing <laughs> about how Chauncey Billups was Mr. Big Shot, and I listed all the shots that he missed. Right. Chauncey actually had like a way lower field goal percentage yeah. in these qualifiers. And as much as I love Chauncey uh, as a player and he deserves all the, you know, like I love that Detroit run. So I'm not me too. But like the funny thing was, is I think, did you come up with the same? I don't know when I read it and when you wrote yours, but it was basically kind of landed on that Mello had had the best run of his era of hitting big shots, which is hysterical because yeah. everybody thought he was a loser. Right. Yeah, Mello was Mello was a really good clutch guy, and Billups. I mean, Billups. If they come through in games in Game Six or Game Seven in two thousand five, 
if he has one more Mr. Big Shot, then now we're talking. They've won two straight. But, you know, he just wasn't good in those games. I thought it was a little overrated. Uh, 2010, Kobe versus Powell to me is still a real argument. I thought Powell is the most important player in that series. And if we're going to overreact to Game 7s, which we've done in Finals MVPs, right? Worthy wins over Magic in 1988 because of Game 7. Um, the the uh, 2010, Powell is the best player in that game. He kind of demolishes the Celtics' front line. And Kobe wasn't that good in the series and wasn't that good in game seven. And I think, I just think Powell, you can make a real case that he should have won. But that was the whole thing where it's like, no, Kobe's got to win. He's the best player on the team. But if we're doing that, then you got to go backwards. Bird should win in 81. Um, Tim Duncan should just win in 07, regardless of how good Tim Duncan was. So I don't know. Oh, we're Tony all Parker, over the map. Right. Uh, Tony Parker. Um, we're all over the map with this. Anyway, that's my finals MVP rant. Okay, Jason Tatum. A little too young or more hurt than we are being told? Pick one. <laughs> uh, well, it's almost a compliment. You know you've reached like a higher tier of NBA superstar when you get to have the Izzy Hurt conversation in the NBA Finals. And trust me, for all the people that don't like Steph, that was the one that always came up. I always felt like, yeah, Steph, because he's little, he actually might be hurt a lot. Uh, I went back and watched all the shots from Game 4. 23 attempts. There's one that counts as an attempt, even though he's kind of stripped on the way up by Clay. So that's in there. That was horrible. I thought 15 of the shots were great looks. Great hmm. looks. Uh, it wasn't just the, the, the Tatum part that frustrates people at times, dancing around, you know, settling for some step backs that are just tough shots to make. I don't care who you are. I thought he took a, a ton of really great shots, and I thought he made some great plays and great reads uh, in the fourth quarter even though he didn't make any shots. You know, he got smart, a couple of decent looks. The offensive tip out to the smart three that he made was because of Tatum. He, he had um, a throw to the corner. That was the right play. The only thing that concerns me a little bit is that whatever his offseason is, he should probably look to drive to contact a little bit more because he's going to get those calls now because of who he is. And I think he allows someone to get him off of his driving lane a little easier. Um, than you would want. You know, he needs... He, the I Clay play is a perfect example. Clay he's play, cutting toward yeah. the basket. He's bigger than Clay Thompson. And instead of just going right into him and getting the foul, he tries to, like, go sideways and quick shoot it. And it was fucking terrible. And three years from now, I think he handles that completely differently. Here's why... If you look at his first 13 games and then the last nine, what's the difference? He gets hurt in game three of the Miami series, right? He gets that stinger. And he was bad in that game anyway. He was having a bad game. Remember the beginning of game three? He's up on the Jumbotron, and he's like early in that game. You're going, oh, no. Right. So his first 13 in the playoffs, he's 28, 6, and 6, 45% field goal. His last nine, 23, 8, and 7, 39% field goal. Okay. First 13, he has six games of 10-plus field goals made, which I think is a really important stat. If you just make intense, like remove the threes. If you just, you have 10 possessions where somebody made a field goal, not to mention like eight free throws, whatever, but just like, that's why the Steph field goals are so important. Those are all possessions that he scored. His last nine, he doesn't have a single game of 10 plus field goals made. He goes three, eight, seven, nine, nine, three, eight, nine, eight. And what's crazy is in the finals, his three point percentage is better than his field goal percentage. When the fuck has that ever happened? 
shooting 45% from three and he's shooting 38% for, for field goals. So his two-point percentage stuff is in the 20s. And I can't, to me, that can't just be the Warriors are playing good defense on him. I think he, I think he's a little bit hurt. I think he's a little tired. And I think he's fallen into this habit of either it's threes or I'm driving to the basket. And if you look at his shot chart, the Milwaukee, the game six, the 46-point game, that shot chart looks very similar to the shot chart he had in game four against the Warriors. It's a lot of threes, a couple long twos, and a lot of shots around the rim. And what he's not doing, which is the frustrating thing to me, and if, if they came to me and they said, how would you help Tatum? Just settle for that 15-footer sometimes. He has such a nice 15-foot pull-up. There's times over and over again, if you watch that fourth quarter again, he's driving to the side, just pull up. You can shoot over everyone. You're 6'9". And I think this. I think he's more young than hurt. I think three years from now, that's the shot he's going to add. And eventually, when he gets into his late 20s, he'll add the post-up game that he doesn't really have yet. But those will be the two things. That pull-up, which he doesn't have yet, or he, he has, he just doesn't use, and then the post-up. So anyway, that's my Tatum analysis. Will they come to you? I'm right here. I'm right here, guys. He's 14 of 51 inside the arc in the finals, 27.5%. It's fucking horrible. Yeah. And and how many missed layups? At least, what, 15? Like layups. We're talking layups. Some of the layups, you know, the team is selling out. Like the help will go to him. And there's a couple, you know, early in game four. I mean, they were on fire, the Celtics. They hit 9 of 18 from three to get that game starting and then you're thinking like oh they need to be up more because no one else is doing anything yeah uh, except for Steph and even Steph I think was a two or eight maybe from three in that game and then you know obviously turned it on a little bit later but some of the layups are just really challenging attempts so it can be a layup um but when this has been a thing with his career though is the finishing I think has been pretty spotty this has been the most frustrating thing about rooting for him that's why I loved his layup uh, against Wiggins in game three like mm. he shook him with the dribble a little bit and then finished to the right side. But I would say, hey, go get the free throws. You're that kind of player now. You're going to get this call. Right. Go in, like the, just like you said, I don't need to repeat it again, but the clay one, he should have just taken the foul and getting the free throws there. So I, I know that at times, whenever you're frustrated with Tatum at the end of games, you'll think, oh, is he settled? Because he was doing a lot of that stuff in the beginning of the year. But like, what is this fascination? Honestly, I, I think... Of the 23 shots, there was another five that were okay. Like, I really only thought there was two or three just straight up. That's an awful shot. What are you doing? And when you're taking 20 plus, there's going to be a couple of those because it's on you, especially at the end of the first half. Like, that's a tough shot in the corner, some runner, but like the the clock's about to go out. So that's, you're a star. You're the best player. You had the ball in your hands at that point. So it isn't really shot selection. I would just go, hey, see if you can get some more free throws and make your life a little bit easier instead of trying to change the angle and avoid the contact. Well, you're at game three. As was I, I went through the first three games. He, his shoulder, something's definitely fucked up. Yeah, totally. And right. if it came out after the series that he had a like a he had a separated shoulder and they popped it back in, or he has a slight something or some injury that they're not being uh, kind of forthcoming about, I wouldn't be surprised. He might have a stinger, but if he has a stinger, this is the longest fucking stinger that's ever happened. He the stinger happened in Game Three of the Miami series. It was three weeks ago. So what is it about it that he's constantly shaking his arm out like he, like he has like, you know, like somebody hit him in his funny bone. And I think it ties into like some of the ways he's finishing around the rim. It seems like a guy who doesn't want to take the hard contact because he's hurt is my fear. 
Yeah, when I sit here and agree with you, but I also think a bunch of guys are hurt all the time, but it's clear, like, he, to me, he's not some guy that's always theatrical about no. every little injury. Agreed. He's just not really who he's been. So when he starts reaching over that shoulder and you see him grimacing, I'm like, okay, like, this feels real and everything, but I... You know, I don't, I don't know. Every, that, as you said, everyone yeah. started this time. I mean, but shit, was, people thought, people thought Steph after game three might not play. Yeah. So here's the too young angle. He's 24. We know this. It's mentioned a lot. But if you go back and you look at like the great perimeter guys, just where, what season were they 24 in? It's pretty illuminating. Curry was 24 in 2012. He hadn't done jack shit yet for the Warriors, right? That was like when they were deciding. When, when the Boga trade, do we trade Monte or do we trade Steph Curry? Like, he'd done nothing in the NBA, really a substance other than he won Rookie of the Year. We still LeBron, don't know. We just still don't know if it's the right fault. Yeah. Ellis is pretty good. LeBron, 2009, that was his first MVP. Had never, had never won a finals game to that point. Wade in 2006, probably the best 24-year-old performance. Kawhi, 2016, not really Kawhi yet. Dirk, 2005, year before his MVP year. KD, 2013, he was hurt. His MVP was the next year. Harden, 2014, hadn't really gone up a level like he did. That was like three, four years later. Jordan, 1987, nothing had happened yet for him. Kobe, 2003, probably the probably the most advanced of all these 24-year-olds. Like, he, he's pretty amazing in that 0203 stretch. Nash, 1999, hadn't done anything yet. Pierce, 2002, that was the run against the Nets. But think how young he seemed that year. It was like amazing that he was doing anything. It was going to take six years again for them to make a dent in anything. <laughs> right. And then Bird in 1981 when, you know, he wasn't Bird the way, the legend for three more years. Yeah, but he was also old. Like, he, he was, was old. A, he came into yeah. the league old. Yeah. yeah. So when you think like the 24, like Tatum, 22 playoff games, he outplayed Durant. He went toe-to-toe against Giannis. He won a do-or-die game in Milwaukee in game six with one of the best Celtic playoff games. He went against that Miami football team for seven games, got the shit kicked out of him. And now he's going against a really smart, well-coached Golden State team. This is, I, I, I guess my point is, I shouldn't be on the phone with my dad complaining about Jason Tatum for 15 minutes. He's 20, 24 years old. It's kind of amazing that he's here. So I've recalibrated my thoughts on it. Well, we both know what's going to happen. If they win, then the expectation is like this is this ascension, just the way that we're going to talk about them, right? You know, we're not going to go many players deep until, you know, you get to Tatum. And I don't know if that means top five and, and all this stuff. But I've kind of joked about with Tatum because it's new and it's this first long run that we've had to, well, the first long run that feels weird or feels, I should say this differently. This Tatum run is the first one that feels real because 18 felt fluky, even though it was game mm, seven of he's the Eastern a Conference Finals, right? Okay. So we all agree on that. 20's uh, the bubble. It still felt, he still felt young. It's, it's kind of weird though. Like whatever happens, he's still going to be the same player, but he's going to be talked about in two completely opposite ways. He right. will come into next year as this guy can carry your team to a championship. He can be the one of a championship team, which is not really a list that is double digits in my opinion. All right. If they lose, it's going to be, is this guy really a one? And he's probably going to be the same exact player. I think he's definitely one. I think you can win the title with him. And there's a world where Steph just doesn't do what it is in, in game four. He's one of the 15 best players ever. He played the greatest game, I think, that he ever played in his life. And if it wasn't the greatest, it's one of the three greatest. And that's why the series is 2-2. Do you have a read on the series? 
I can't believe I'm saying this. I, I'm actually weirdly confident about the Celts tomorrow night. I just think they're a zigzag team. Their record after a loss in the playoffs this year is 7-0. and Not nothing. No. No, it's a great sign. They and, have. You know, after- they just, I said <laughs> on, fr- on Friday's pod, it's they're the team that they just need some sort of pressure to bring the best out of them. And as soon as that pressure is not there, they fall into the same bad habits again. It's the weird, it's honestly the weirdest basketball team I've ever watched. Like that I've rooted for. Do you see Tatum's quote after? What? Because I promise you, we don't do this shit on purpose. <laughs> I thought they were slow, man. I, I thought that off of misses, you know. It's a key point. You got to get it going. You got to get this going. Get into your stuff earlier. Have a plan. Attack a little bit earlier. You go back and we'll go to the fourth quarter. The shots aren't terrible. All right. It, it isn't the old Celtic stuff when they were a really frustrating team and you felt like, what are you guys doing? You're just taking turns here. I, I thought yeah. they actually did some okay stuff, but it was just slow. And uh, those guys don't feel like the Warriors beat them, which may be entirely ridiculous to say. I mean, look, again, the final <laughs> the final 732, Boston was 2 of 12, 6 points, which is almost With a turnover. As, right. 3 points the final 518. 3 points in an NBA Finals game the last 5 minutes, 18 seconds. You knew Horford was going to have dead legs coming off one day rest. If I'm if I'm the Celtics, I'm the most worried about White and Grant Williams and Pritchard and these role guys who have been really important for them throughout the run who feel like the arrow's pointing down across the board, right? White feels like he's lost his confidence again. Rob apparently gestured to come out with four minutes left and his knee is just game to game. You don't know what's going to happen. Seeing and, that live, by the way, I'm sorry to interrupt, but no, go. W- watching Rob Williams live, you think the stretcher's coming for him every five minutes. Right. He's just, I, do you think we're going to find out more about the knee after the finals? Like he, what was he gutting through? But he was, I'm, I'm with he you. He was so good in game And then he's three. flying around like <laughs> Spider-Man. Yeah, I don't get That's it. That's the thing. Like, uh, I don't know how many different times I was like, oh, you know, because just being there is such an awesome experience, Here, man. Here's and, the thing. I, it really was the the finals and just that atmosphere in both places. Both crowds have been great. But um, if they're going to ask me, what would you get, give us one tip, the Celtics? Like, give us one tip, Simmons. You're really pushing for that. He's trying to get in the front office. Just go, go faster. How fucking hard is this? They're starting their offense with 11 seconds left in the shot clock because... They're walking it up. The ball's crossing the line at 16. And by the time we're going, there's 10. And then if that first thing gets shut down or whatever, now there's five seconds left. And what I don't understand is Curry's 34. Clay's didn't play for 900 days. You know, they, the Warriors don't have the same size. Like, I want to wear them out. I want to move. I want to go up and down on them. And when you're walking it up on them, the Warriors are just a better half-court team. So why are you walking it up? Yeah, and even if you wanted to argue well, you want to slow it down because you're the better defensive team or whatever. It doesn't mean you don't have to push it off a miss and see if something's there and then bring it back out. But when there's never a threat of, you know, not just full-blown turnover transition, but off a miss and people are back, just push it. You know, cross-match gets screwed up. Start it faster. I I don't care who you are. Every team should be doing that. And I know guys can be tired. It's a a quicker turnaround. It's the end of this thing. But they they were too slow too often. I feel weirdly confident that the Celtics will show up in game five, but this just might be a Curry finals. They, this just, he might have 40 again with eight threes again. And if he does, 
if he does what he did in game four in in San Francisco, I don't see them losing at home when he plays like that. Because it, I talked about this after, uh, after game one or game two. The, uh, the way that he just charges that crowd up when he's on, it's, there's nothing like it right now in, in sports. Nothing. How they about have the such way- a history with that guy. And when he gets hot, they, it's just the energy is just out of control. How about the way he went at the Boston crowd? He, he was fucking, he, it was great. By the way, if we're going worse crowds, everybody was upset about it wasn't classy. I, I don't like the fuck you stuff. I don't think we should do that at the game. So I'm not, I'm not going to get all sanctimonious about it. What age I do just, you turn when you go yelling fuck you, Draymond isn't cool? No, just guess what? Draymond sucks works great. Like, we already had good chance. Draymond sucks or the Draymond, like one of those two. We were good. We didn't need to add the fuck you chant. Um, wait, what was I talking about? Oh, the classless thing. We talked about this when it happened. Toronto fans cheering when KD blew out his Achilles is the, they just, let's always mention that when we're getting mad at fans as just like the 10 out of 10 worst behavior by an NBA fan base. That's still number one. They'll never live it down in my opinion. It was still awful. And the, I just don't feel like the Boston fans would do that. And just before anybody says, oh, it actually wasn't that bad. I've gone back and watched it recently. Yeah, go it watch is, it. It is it's that It's fucking bad. horrible. When it's Clay, horrible. When Clay is turning to the fans and the look on his face being like, are you fucking serious, you guys? It's are awful. Are you serious right now? Um, so, whatever. Yeah, there you go. Uh, All right. So, your prediction. What do you have? I picked Warriors in seven. I don't have any read on this. I had moments in game four with Boston where they were shooting it really well. and. And I thought everybody was kind of getting it going. Jalen's had these really good starts. Um, but I'm expecting that Draymond... Are we going to talk any Draymond? Or are we done? I'm so bored of Draymond at this point. Why? would you? Ha- did you have something you felt like was timely? Yeah, I do. I do. All right, let's hear it. You know, I have a bunch of theories on this. I'm going to spare you them right now. But the, the general thought is that there's some sort of compensation going on when somebody acts a certain way that maybe other people don't like. I am blown away that Draymond was that bad again in game four after being that bad in game three and being pretty bad in game one. And I'd argue even in game two, I thought it was a little overrated because of how the early he started. And then it's like, oh, you made him feel him right away. Yeah. And it, him getting benched in the fourth quarter, it was still under four minutes. It was kind of this seven to three forty stretch. So it wasn't like a full on, you're so bad, we can't put you back out there. But he had a drive where he was, or he had the ball right at the rim and he threw it out to Bielisa, who missed a three to the right side. And it makes me wonder if, if Draymond, as tough as he is as a competitor, is he actually not nearly as mentally as tough as we think he is? And is all the stuff compensating for him having moments where he's actually doubting himself out there? Because I still, and we had Anthony Slater on my podcast. And we were just laughing about the stat line that Draymond had in Game 7 in that loss in 2016 against Cleveland. He was incredible. He had 30 points. He did everything. He was like the only guy they could really count on. Yeah. He was an actual offensive threat for a really long time. And something got in his head. He didn't want to take threes. Now he can't make any of them. I mean, he's Yeah, he was a 40% three-point shooter in that one playoff run. He had a couple seasons where he was right around there, Bill. Um He's 23% from the floor, 0% from threes, and he's passing it to other guys. So I'm just, 
I'm well, asking about you know what you know, the doppelganger is is the when Ben Wallace kind of lost it on the Bulls Pistons and it was like it's Ben Wallace it looks like Ben Wallace but then you would look at the stats and it's like that's not Ben Wallace anymore. I wonder if part of his personality is trying to psych himself up because deep down he knows like I just don't feel comfortable with the ball the way I used to. It's just the theory. And and I, look, he's always been the same guy. So it's not like all of a sudden he's now acting out more as opposed to earlier when his offensive player, he acted out less. Yeah. And that's what I think you like with all the stuff that's come up with Draymond. And again, I'm, I'm a fan of him. All right. Uh, I would hate to see this Warriors team without his personality on it because I still think you need one of those guys that wants to fight every single minute. But for somebody that we all seem to agree on about his mental toughness, I wonder how much mental doubt there is with him right now because I can't believe he was that bad. Too. You want to have a bad... Plenty of guys have bad games. We know he's not an offensive guy anymore, but this was somebody that showed... And it's not like he's 38, Bill. You know, he's, what, yeah. 32 years old? And he's a completely different offensive player from a guy six years ago who wasn't afraid of anybody. I think what's shocking is the lack of explosiveness. When you go back, because I, I talked about this a little on Friday. I, I went back and I watched some of that game seven. And athletically, you know, it's nobody's, there's been no athlete like LeBron that we've had in the league other than Giannis, I think in the last 15 years. But athletically, Draymond felt like he was on a level like that. Like he was just all over the place. He was a maniac and was at the rim. And he's just, I don't think he's explosive anymore. And I don't think he has the same legs on the three anymore. And he's obviously lost confidence in it. But his three, when you get older, your three should get better, not worse. That's, I think, well, pretty strange, it, right? He cannot be as athletic. That's fine. But there's no reason why, you know, you, you just can't, can't be a 38% three-point shooter. Top years, of the yeah, he's he's yeah. 32 years old. He's not 38. So I, I, it's not like he's been a different personality. He's been the same time, same guy the entire time. And it's important. Well, I to think make you're right, though. There's team. some overcompensation a little bit because if he feels like he's not as effective of a player, what do you do? You get almost louder to overcompensate for it. I can't believe he's been this bad, man. And it's been it's been really bad. Yeah, and game two, as you said, was his only good game, but they just called that game in a legitimately insane way and let him <laughs> just basically uh, go nuts. Yeah, I'd, I'll be win or lose for the Warriors. I just don't think there's a world where he's, I think he's under contract for $27 million next year. I just don't see a world where anybody's paying him more than, you know, 8 to $10 million after that contract. Because people have talked about, oh my God, what do they do to pay all these guys? There's just no way he can make that much money anymore for what he's given them. But what's weird is the first two months of the season, defensively, he was amazing, right? So maybe he has some injury that, what was his injury? Why did he go out? Was it a knee or was it something else? I can't remember. Or was it some lower leg thing? Yeah, it was a lower leg thing. So maybe he's not healthy. So that would be the one thing you're holding on to maybe is that maybe, maybe he's not healthy. Because the first two months he was all over the place and we were talking about him as a defensive player of the year. And that guy's not held up. Uh, all right, one more break and then we have one quick game for you. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. Picture this, stacks of sweet brown sugar bacon on delicious Arby's sandwiches you already love. Does that sound like a feast for your senses? Well, Arby's brown sugar bacon sandwiches are back for a limited time. Available in BLT roast beef and turkey sandwiches. 
Try Arby's Brown Sugar Bacon Sandwiches today. You can order the sandwiches online or on the Arby's app. You can tap the banner or you can visit this episode's page to learn more. Limited time offer at participating U.S. locations while supplies last. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. When you have a good team of skilled, talented people, good things are bound to happen. That's true in sports. It's true in business. It can be true with digital companies or websites, or podcast networks. If you're running a small business, one of the best places to look for those people is LinkedIn Jobs. They have what you need to find and hire qualified professionals you can't find anywhere else. And unlike other job boards, LinkedIn Jobs has a vast network of professionals, like more than a billion people. And it makes the whole hiring process intuitive and easy to manage. They're constantly launching new features to help make the hiring process more manageable. They even created a tool to help write job descriptions recently. Over 2.5 million small businesses trust LinkedIn when it comes to hiring and over 86% find a qualified candidate within the first day. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Simmons. That's linkedin.com slash Simmons to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, thought exercise, then we got to go. GM jobs you would not want right now heading into the draft and the off season. What's the least appealing GM job? For the record, Priscilla and I would take any GM job. Any of the 30, if you're offering to us, we'd probably take it. But these are the ones that would give us pause. Would you get, really? I don't think you would. I don't think you'd take all 30. Yeah, sure. I'd probably like five. Um, <laughs> I'm giving you first pick. We'll alternate. You first pick. Worst GM job right now. And I, I guess we should say like the parameters would be, you know, obviously lack of talent. Um, salary cap situation. Do you have a go-to guy? The market? What's your owner? Like, there's a million factors that go into this, but the big one is, could you succeed in that job? They, if it was given to you, do you feel good about your chances to actually succeed for the next four to five years? Your number one pick is? I probably put too much weight on ownership for this because ultimately... Your goal is to succeed. Who's, who's my boss going to be? Uh, all right. This is so suspenseful. I have no idea what you're going to do. I know what I have as the number one pick. But you could... I think I know your number one pick. I think I know what it would have been, but I think you've warmed up to this guy. So you, you don't want to make it your number one pick, and that's why you want me to go first. No, uh, I'll go I'll, first. I'll, I'll say Sacramento would be the toughest one. At this oh, point. interesting. I had them lower. Yeah. In my I rankings. Just, the track record isn't great. I wouldn't say that you look at the roster going... This is going to be awesome. It's not a destination city. And as you have told us firsthand, by all accounts, Vivek, heck of a nice guy. Yeah. Heck of a nice guy. Great guy. But it seems rather rudderless. And uh, I, would, I would say that would, be, that would be the toughest one right now for me. Interesting. So I thought about them. I have them lower on my list. I like the fourth pick. I think Fox and Sabonis, they found something with those guys the last two months that I'm interested in. I like Davion Mitchell. Barnes, either to keep or as a, as a trade person. I think that could be fun. And I just think, I, at least I could make that work, right? If you gave me that job, I'd be like, all right, I got this, I got this. Like, this is something. My first pick, I just wouldn't feel good about. It's Washington. Do I have to build the team around Porzingis? Is Kuzma thinking he's a max guy? I somehow don't have salary cap space, even though my team sucks. 
I also don't have a, a top eight pick. I'm not really a free agent destination. I'm in a conference that has the Celtics and the Bucks and the Heat and the, the Nets, Raptors, whatever the fuck the happens Sixers, with KD. Yeah, the the, Nets are. Yeah. I, I, I would just not feel great. Sorry, Joe House, but uh, that's just not a fun job. And I don't know, you know, you're going out for drinks with your buddies like, hey, man, congrats, man. You must be so excited. So what are you going to do? And you just kind of go, eh, well, you know, mid-level exception. Yeah, I think there's some good, like, what do you do with this job? You buried the headline. You got to pay Beal $250 million, who said it, the decision was going to come down to winning. Yeah, I forgot to mention that part. Which it, okay, then where else are you going? And, you know, the Beal thing the it's entire brutal. time, I was like, I heard he just wants to stay. He wants to get that full 250 and then he'll figure it out later. What he should have said, he goes, this contract and my next trade demand will be about winning. All right. If, uh, if, I, I, by that the way, was high. That's a little high. I thought you reached there a little bit, but you thought I reached. I thought with Sacramento, even though everything you just said about the roster is fair, I think like if you looked at Houston and you go, what if Jalen Green and the number three pick work out here? Like, what if I have like two things and I reset my salary deck like, I could have a chance at re really being dynamic. Houston wasn't even on my list. Yeah. No, I didn't have them on my list either. Okay. All right. Can all I right. say one thing about Beal and the Wizards? Please They're going to have to pay him. Yep. The move is to trade him. I just don't know what his value is. He's coming off a wrist thing. He's, you know, I, I think as people watch the playoffs and the two-way guys, you want your superstars to be two-way guys. I think that's really hurt guys like Beal and Mitchell from a trade value standpoint. People look at those guys and they go, if that's my best guy and he's not a two-way guy, where am I going? Am I going round one and out? What's my destiny? And to pay him $50 million a year, I don't want to pay anyone $50 million a year who can't be the best guy on a title team. And I don't think he can. Okay, I'm going to surprise you with my pick here that I even thought about taking number one overall. Okay. Phoenix. Wow. Okay, make the case. Chris Paul came in and fixed everything. This team was going to have some real, I think, problems. And despite what people think about Chris Paul now, again, after playoff loss, we've covered. Uh, I think if you let Aiton walk for nothing, which I'm still not, you know, I don't know if that's actually going to happen. Uh, but you still had an owner that was willing to mess with a team that was going to win over 60 games and, and had an amazing profile of a regular season team. Uh, Sarver, leaving out all the allegations and the investigation, well, let's just say we leave him out. He is one of the worst owners. And if you're this cheap, that you can't just say, hey, you know what? We have a good group here and we want to build it around Bridges, Booker, and Aiton post Paul and try to figure out a way to fill in the pieces like almost every other owner would do. Yes. Then don't, then don't own a team. You know, I, I cannot stand hearing about yearly losses from basketball franchises when it's the equivalent of having a home where the insurance and the property taxes are high and you feel like you're stretched a little bit month to month, but you know that your home is going to triple in 10 years, you know, that, so like all of that always gets left out. You shouldn't own a team if you can't hang on to the appreciation when you, when you go ahead and sell this thing. So, I mean, it, the minimum is $2 billion now, I think, for a team. Right. So because of the I, media rights coming. So you, totally, they're all doing fine. They're doing like, okay, you know, sorry, you're not cashing, you know, putting away tons of cash every year like some of the other franchises, which you probably still will be anyway. But I, to have him be my boss, I, I would put him, as like, he's probably the last guy I would want to work for. It's a great pick. I'm jealous of it. And then just, on top of it, you just threw away that Halliburton pick and you took Jalen Smith who's not on the team anymore. That would drive me 
I'd be so mad taking over that job being like, so wait, we had the 10th pick and that's gone already? <laughs> Two years later? <laughs> what yeah, because I, I still think like as much as people will go, oh, you're going to be nuts. Like they still have a chance to contend in the West next year, which I think is a fair statement. This is about being a GM. This is about partnering with ownership and going, can I trust this guy? What's this track record? And the track record's terrible. Yeah. And once the Chris Paul thing becomes like when he's done, done, and depending on what happens with Aiton, like there's a path where this is pretty ugly in less than 24 months. Especially when the investigation comes back. All right, so you went first. You took Sacramento. I took Washington. You just took Phoenix. I can't believe they're still on the board. I'm taking the Los Angeles Lakers. I have LeBron James in the last year of his deal, the 20th season of his career, already talking about how he wants to own a team in Vegas, which, by the way, we have discussed many times on this podcast how that was going to be what happened, and the cat's finally out of the bag. I have Davis, who is now in year 11 or 12? Year 11. Yeah, it's 2000 drafts. This is 11th season. I have no idea what I'm getting from him, how healthy he's going to be going forward. I have no picks. My picks are gone. I don't really have any young players unless you want to get super excited about Austin Reeves. And the ownership situation is just bizarre. Everyone likes Jeannie, whatever. I, she's a very nice person, but it's a bizarre ownership situation. Just bizarre. And you have a fan base with huge expectations. And I just think it's it, it's going to be a really dark next few years. And I think that's a really hard job. Because if I took the job, I would try to trade LeBron right now. That would be my move. I'm not winning the title next year. I would really try to aggressively try to turn LeBron into something back and then try to figure out what I have with Davis. But they're not going to do that. And then LeBron's going to leave after next season. And now it's just Davis. Well, what's going to happen with that? How many times have we talked about, well, he's under a long contract. Okay, great. He's going to want out of, out of the Lakers. So I just wouldn't want to be involved in any of that. No thanks. The ownership thing's a little tricky. Because um, I, I think if Jeannie weren't Jeannie, there'd be so much more criticism. It's just weird that, that Jim Buss was destroyed by everybody in the media and then everybody says Jeannie's the best. Uh, I don't know what that's about. Now, you could say as simple as, hey, they ended up turning the keys over to Clutch with Palinka. They won a title, so it's completely different. All right, that's fine, but I, I don't know if that's necessarily the best way to judge the two tenures. Uh, mm. And knowing that you have this this really weird season coming up here with you know the Westbrook stuff and, and if there's any solution to it They're whatsoever. playing the Westbrook thing exactly like we predicted. Yeah. They're making it seem, oh, no, he's, no, it's going to be great. We're going to make it work. It was all Frank Vogel's fault. Yeah. Wow, this didn't work. Cool. But I, the reason I don't know that I would take him is that you're still maybe the number one destination for anyone. Good. Yeah. I, I would be fired by then. The problem yeah. is I'm getting the job, and by the time there's daylight at the end of the tunnel, I'm getting blamed and I'm getting fired like Frank Vogel did. So I'm like the caretaker for this heaving corpse for three years as they wait for stuff to shake out. Now, if they end up getting Kyrie in a week, who knows? Who do you have for your third pick? Portland. I don't think any Ooh. players want to go there. Yeah. Ownership influx. If I'm hired yeah. now, I'm going to get fired by the new owners. I have a superstar that does, by all account, everything I've ever heard is that he likes being the guy and having everything catered to him. I don't know if he's going to feel that way with a bunch of draft picks. Um, so the one thing that I still have that I'm excited about, that's tenuous. 
And I think Portland, just on the whole, is not exactly like, I don't think NBA players are like, that's exactly where I want to live and hang out. Well, you didn't mention the Dame contract. No, what is it? Four more years? We get up to 50 million, right? Whoa. <laughs> uh, Dame, uh, is it 40, three more years? 42.4, 45.6, 48.7. Yeah. The next three. It's pretty rough. When, and still no idea, like, what was, how bad was that stomach injury? Was that like a debilitating injury? What was going on? They have the seventh pick, which isn't nothing. Um, other than that, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I've, I, there's, so I had Utah as my next pick because that's a team that basically has this Mitchell Gobert thing that everyone in the league knows is a problem and they have to move on one of them. Gobert makes so much money. I don't even know really what they could get for them. And then Mitchell, I think for what his fan, what the Utah fans would think he was worth in a trade versus what I think the league thinks he's worth in a trade. I just don't think they have a lot of moves. And if anything, I wouldn't be shocked if they just came back with these two guys again and they were like, we're going to make a greater commitment to defense, they hire a defensive coach, whatever. But um, I just don't think they have a lot of moves. That's, that's a tough job. And Danny, I think, is going to do it the right way. I think he's going to like take huge swings. That's what he does. That's his history. He's not going to stay with these two guys. I don't think so. Better ownership than Portland. Um, hmm. Is it a better destination now than Portland is? Uh, I don't know. Um, not historically, but I think Portland's changed a bit. <laughs> I've always heard that NBA players like Utah. Yeah. It's always been a thing that's been out there. Once you get there, you kind of you kind of like it a little bit more. So I would I would I thought about Utah too because you have this thing. But at least with Utah, I know I could just bring everybody back and still be kind of good. And maybe something yeah. breaks my way, and it hasn't really happened. And the Go Bear playoff thing versus regular season thing, I don't want to argue with anymore with anybody. Um, but the Go Bear contract is disgusting. It's thirty eight. It's forty one. It's forty four. And it's forty six point seven four years from now mm. for the player option. Probably pick that one. Also, you'd have to go to the games and watch them again. All right, who do you have? Next pick. Philly with the Harden Max. Oh, I had them too. But only with a Harden Max. No Harden Max. I get to You're watch Joel. Yeah. No, I Joel, even, Maxi. Well, what do you even think yeah. about it? Great fan base, creative. fun owners. What if it was Harden for two years at the Max? No, not on the list. The, the five-year Harden Max, I'd be like, so... You guys don't have cable? The five-year hard in Max is, I, I don't even. Do you hear people saying he's going to get it? I've heard so many hearted rumors with different teams that they're not going to, they're absolutely not going to offer him the Max, that they want to sign and trade him. I, I, I don't know what to believe anymore. I'm out. The last time I had real intel, this time I, I've heard so many different things that I don't know what to believe. Yeah. I mean, what's the craziest Harden thing you've heard for the summer? I wonder if it's the same thing I've heard. Well, mine's, to me, the crazy one is giving him every dollar he's eligible for, all right? But it's not crazy in the world of different... Okay, you tell me, like, you're talking about him going somewhere else. This will get aggregated, so have fun. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. I don't want to get aggregated. My next... Uh, you took my next pick, so I'm going to go with... But that's only, again, Sixers fans. That's only with a Harden 
full max. Fair. So I have Brooklyn as my next pick, even though that's the that's, best that's team ridiculous. we picked. That's ridiculous. I just think that I would not want to be in charge of that team. I'm out. I would just I like I had. But you have you have great ownership. You have a coach. Do that's I, easy to get along. Do I have great ownership? Yeah, I think they're pretty good owners. Yeah. You don't think so? I don't know. They just let these two guys come in and completely uproot their culture and the whole thing. And no, 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 no. Basically, no, no. let them be no, the GMs. No. You're forgetting when Kyrie and Katie went there, it was because of the culture they had built. Kenny Atkinson. Yeah, and then they completely they threw it in the dumpster. But I don't think they're going to bring back Kyrie. I don't, and I don't know how Durant's going to handle that. And I, I, my prediction is probably not well. And what happens if Durant says I don't want to be here anymore? Now what am I doing as the GM? How many Durant destination teams are there? And now I'm looking at like Miami and I'm trying to talk myself into, can can we get Jimmy Butler and Hero for Durant? And Miami's like, how about just, how about just Hero and Duncan Robinson? And I, I just think it'll be harder to move Durant to a team that would say, all right, if we trade for Durant, is he going to be happy here? And I think he's going to be unhappy if they ditch Kyrie. Durant for Tatum? I wouldn't do that. Health-wise, uh, it's not an absurd Durant's, thing to turn down. This could be his yeah. 15th season in yeah. the NBA, you know, or 16th. He was 2007 draft. So, yeah, and you think, like, the amount of tax, they already have an expensive roster, and I just, I, I don't think there's a ton of moves with that. And I have to deal with the Ben Simmons thing. I mean, you got that, too. I, that's a tough job. All right, last pick for you. Charlotte. Oh, okay. What's the case? I like the Atkinson hire. They just... They brought in a guy that wants to coach people. They just got rid of that guy in Borrego. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, your best player doesn't play. I think there's going to be a little bit of a growing pain thing with LaMelo of like, this is awesome in your dynamic, but there's going to be some other stuff we're going to need you to do a little bit more. And MJ is an owner, you know, he's MJ, so he, he gets kind of treated differently, but there's what evidence... Is there other than he's really bad at being an owner of a basketball team? And it's not really a destination place. And uh, they've got to figure out some financial decisions with some players that I kind of like. But ultimately, you're probably, as soon as you pay them, you go, shit, I can't believe we're paying this guy this much. It's a good pick. For my last pick, I had Atlanta. I think they're in a weird spot. And they clearly have to make moves, but everyone in the league knows it. And I think that's a hard job to take over. I've got to pay Trey at some point, the max or super max, whatever he's worth. I'm not sure ultimately how far I'm going with a guy who can't really guard anybody as my best player, as we seem to realize every year when we get to the final four, how, how important defense is. And then who do I put with them? They got weird contracts. The Collins thing is weird. Capella. Gallinari, I think, is expiring. Um, they're going to have to pay Hunter. And it just feels like they're going to just get locked into this 43-44 win team unless they take a huge swing, which might be like Ben Simmons, somebody like that. Who knows? But um, I think it would just be a really hard team to manage the next two years. And I and you're the fall guy if, the, if none of it works. I do like, though, that it seems like they're ready to load up. Maybe he'll almost give you too much talent. But then again, who's the one guy that comes back? It's the four for one. It's like, yeah. that's the team that needs to just... Now, that would be a good Bradley Beal team, right? 
Somebody yeah, like my, that. Some my, sort my, of sec, a re- legitimate second star. Yeah, that would worry me a little bit, like backcourt defensively. But, and, and <laughs> yeah, but really, you're already bad defensively, so right. you might as well just lean into it and try to outscore people. Yeah, I don't know if I'd pick them yet, but you know they were incredibly disappointing, and I would think, based on stuff you hear, that they'd be ready to kind of load up to go, all right, you know, we, we have all these pieces. I mean, that's what's so awful about this season for them, because when the season first started, I thought, I'd watch them and go, look at all these guys they have. Look at yeah. all the talent. Look at the depth. Look at the different things that they could do. And it's like, oh, they're actually, they're not going to be that good. You know what's interesting about this exercise? There's no, like, disaster of a team. There's no team that you, is, was just clearly the number one pick where you go, wow, that team. That has, yeah, or like, Orlando has some options to, to yeah. maybe look really good in two years. Houston, you, know, you made the key Houston point. Jalen and the number three pick, those two assets, plus our guy, Shangun, um, I wouldn't mind running that team. You know? I haven't given up on Garuba yet. Mm. But like, think about if we did this in 2007, how fast we would have been fighting oh. to make the Knicks the first pick, right? You'd be like, oh my God, it has to be the Knicks. They have no picks. They fucking suck. Their so nobody picked the how about that though? Nobody picked the Knicks. I think they have moves. I think they have cap space and they have picks. And I like their young players. And I think there's, you know, they the the Derrick Rose, those kind of contracts, they can get out of those after next year. And there's ways to extricate themselves out of the situation they're in. I'm more worried. Like I look at Washington, it's like, all right, you're you're gonna pay Porzingis and Beal a combined seventy five million a year, so you could be a nine seed. You hope. <laughs> I mean, that is just awful. Uh, all right. We're wrapping up. Rasilla's going to do his podcast. Uh, probably it'll be up Tuesday morning. And then uh, I'm going to have one. I'm going to try to do some sort of post-gamer after uh, after tomorrow night. I'm going to the game. And then we'll see how this finals goes. Then we got the draft. Got to figure out a whole draft strategy, too. Good to see you, Rasilla. This podcast was produced by Jesse Lopez. Thanks to Steve Cerruti. Number one Chad Holmgren fan and uh, and Dylan Berkey as well. And we'll see you tomorrow. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com.